All right. Well, Isaiah chapter 42, uh, the title of this morning's message is God's plan for your life. That might seem kind of bold, right? How, how do you know what God's plan is for my life? Well, I'm only going by what Scripture says, and I'm, I'm pretty uh, safe ground when we do that. And how I know that is we're going to see this in a number of ways. As we look to uh, Isaiah, and he is prophesying about, as we've been talking about, Israel's future. And he's going to lay out for them their plan for their life. And it's really a plan for the entire world. It's really a, a, it's a, a small look into the, the plan of the future, which we are now in. And by extension, it's a plan for our very own lives. And you'll see is when you get out of this plan or reject it or fight against it, that you will have a, a tough time in life. Um, now, I'm not saying, hey, if I give, have a tough time in life, I'm out of God's plan, because sometimes, as we've seen, it is God's plan to bring upon hard times, because He is over all of world history. He directs and orchestrates all things, as we've been seeing, and as Isaiah is telling uh, Israel that very thing, that, hey, I brought this upon you. But even in the midst of those hard times, as we've been talking, if you're in the middle of God's plan, you understand what's going on, and you're able to trust Him through it. And so we're going to continue to develop on that theme that we started two weeks ago, as Isaiah is continually trying to encourage the nation of Israel that, hey, hold on to the Lord in the midst of hard times. Again, Isaiah is prophesying to them that they are going to go into captivity, which is a pretty hard thing to understand and a hard thing, even more hard thing to go through. But they need to continually trust God in the midst of captivity. And remember, they're going into captivity. Why? Because they have continually and willfully broken covenant with God. And so this is what's coming upon them. And so again, God through Isaiah is telling Israel that this discipline is his doing, and it's coming from him, but he tells them it's not going to be permanent. And we'll be seeing that over the, the weeks to come as we continue to go through Isaiah. And again, God wants them to trust him in the midst of this discipline. And then they'll get through it in an easier and more understanding fashion. And so let's look to Isaiah chapter 42. And as I mentioned, as we look through this, you will see that God has a plan for your life as well. And he's going to reveal that to us this morning. Um, so let's look at Isaiah 42, and let's read through the first few verses, and I'm going to talk about it as we go through. I'm not going to read through the whole thing at one time and then come back. They're large chapters. We're going to uh, talk about it along the way and then find some application at the very end. So let's just start with the first few, actually verse 1. So Isaiah says this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So at the very beginning, as God has been telling Israel about what's going to happen, he says in this instance that he's going to bring a servant to them. He's got a plan, and he's going to bring it about through who he calls his servant. And it's a servant that says is chosen by God and brings delight to God. So God, again, is just reiterating, I have a plan in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of captivity, I have a plan, and it's going to work out, right? And he puts his spirit, it says in verse 1, in this servant of his. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Who is that servant and what is that plan? That's going to develop, be developed along the way. So again, God has a plan that he's devised and he takes delight in it. And so as you can tell, that includes their captivity. So yes, God sometimes ordains or allows things to happen that aren't in our eyes the greatest. But God is working them out. God has a plan. And in, inst in this instance, he also has a solution for that in the process. So he tells Israel, behold, my servant, I'm bringing a servant out. And what's this servant going to do? At the very end of verse 1, he says, he summarizes it. He says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And we'll talk a little bit about that and develop that as we go along. Let's go to verse 2, because here he's talking about the servant and his success is described. So he's going to bring about justice for all nations. Let's read down to verse 4. And he will cry out or raise his, or excuse me, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. So what is God talking about here? Again, he's talking about his servant and the success of his servant. He says for us, again, in verse 1, that he's going to bring forth justice upon all people. And he reiterates that in verses 3 and 4 as well, that the main purpose for this servant to come is to bring about justice. Now, this is what he's talking about is divine justice is going to be established, is going to be coming through this servant. And this is going to be more fully developed as we go through the prophecy of Isaiah here in chapter 42. But remember that the servant that is coming is going to bring about justice, and it's divine justice. It's not going to be justice the way you and me think of justice or the way culture thinks of justice. And you'll see that in a few moments. So this servant, again, is going to bring forth justice. We are told that he's going to be meek and gentle. You can see that in verses 2. As he says, he will not cry out or raise his voice. So he's meek. He's, he's not going to be uh, crazy, so to speak. And he's going to be gentle. And he's going to be faithful to execute the plan of justice, we are told, as well. And verse 4 tells us that he's going to be victorious. So God promises, hey, I have a plan, and it's going to be executed faithfully. It's not like, well, I hope this works. I think this is going to work. This is the plan one. If this doesn't work, I have a plan two. No, God is telling Israel that this plan that he is going to execute through his servant is going to come to pass, right? It says, it, and he has, it, it's going to come until he has established justice in the earth. So it's going to be complete, a completed plan. It's going to succeed. And he says that the entire world, when he talks about the coastlands, and I mentioned, mentioned this briefly last week, Coastlands in Isaiah usually is referenced to the world outside of Israel, so the Gentile world. So even the Gentiles are going to come to expect this justice and wait for this justice to happen. And so let's drop down to verse 5 now. So that's the plan. He's going to bring a servant, and he's going to bring about justice to the entire world. Now verse 5 talks a little bit more about the servant's mission and he's going to confirm what he's going to do. He says this, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So God is telling us that, hey, this mission again is coming from me. I'm the one who created the entire universe. I am the giver of life. And I'm going to be able to do what I say I'm going to do. He's kind of like giving his credentials to Israel. I'm powerful enough to do this. Again, this isn't a maybe it's going to happen or I hope it's going to happen. No, it's going to happen. You can trust God because I'm the one who created the universe and I've given everybody life. And verse 6 says, I'm the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. This is as if he's talking to the servant. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. This is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before thy spring forth. I proclaim them to you. So God elaborates here on his mission of the servant. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in detail finally. So again, God is saying, I have a plan and it's rooted in righteousness. That just gives us a glimpse into God's character. All the things that God does in life are done out of righteousness. Right? God can be trusted because of that. He's righteous and everything that comes forth into our lives are based on God's righteousness. Right? We do things, we can be vindictive and evil and so can other people. God doesn't do that. God does not operate that way. So the things that come into your life, you can know that these things have happened, even though you don't like them or don't understand them, out of God's righteousness. And this plan of captivity for Israel and the subsequent salvation that they're going to receive is all done in God's righteousness. Again, God reminds his servant that this mission will be directed and secured by God. It's going to happen. And again, this mission is going to be for all people. Look at the last part of verse 6 again. So even though he's specifically talking to Israel here, he's saying this thing that's going to take place is for all people. At the end of verse 6, he says, I will appoint you, he's talking to his servant, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. This mission of justice explained here now is not just for Israel, but is for everybody. So what is this justice that he's talking about? Is this what's commonly known in our world as social justice? That everything's going to be equitable for all people, for all time? That it's going to be fair? Well, he explains it in verse 7. Look at verse 7. So this justice that he's bringing... This light to the nations is number, number, verse 7 says this. It's to open blind eyes and it's to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So obviously it's symbolic of something other than what he's specifically talking about here. Is God literally going to open everybody's literal blind eyes and take everybody out of prison? That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here, and I'll show you this in a moment, is the spiritual salvation of, he's going to give us spiritual salvation. He's going to open our eyes spiritually. He's going to lead people out of spiritual captivity. 
So this servant that God's going to send, those are the things that he's going to do. He's going to exact divine justice by doing those things. He's going to bring about salvation. Now, this might sound reminiscent to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. And if you have your Bible open, uh, go ahead and turn there with me. But keep your finger here in Isaiah. Luke chapter 4. See, Jesus tells us that at his coming, that these things happened. So the servant that Isaiah is talking about, even though he probably truly doesn't understand it, is Jesus. Jesus is the servant that is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 42. And I'll give you one example of this. Why? Because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he's given a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And in verse 17, look what it says. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened, he opened it. He opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember the very beginning of, of chapter 42. God said he was going to put his spirit on his servant. He says, Because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and to recover and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. These are exact same things that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 42. He's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to free the captives. And this is what Jesus is saying. Well, when is Jesus going to do that? When is Jesus going to open the eyes of the blind and free all those people out of prison? Well, look at verse 20. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. They're waiting for Jesus to explain what he just said. And Jesus says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is saying that right now his ministry is to do those things. So obviously it cannot be literally, because he didn't literally open every blind person's eyes. He did some, and he didn't literally go into prisons and let everybody out. He's talking spiritually, spiritual salvation. He's opened the eyes of the spiritually blind, and he's freeing those who are spiritually held captive. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Jesus lets us know that. That's just one example of how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy or how you can understand that it's written to mean that. So when you take it too literally in Isaiah chapter 42, you would say Jesus failed in his ministry. Jesus didn't go and free everybody. He didn't open the blinds of, or open the eyes of all people. And many other things, if you interpret Isaiah or prophecies about the Messiah in a, in a wooden, literal fashion, Again, Jesus tells us that the justice that he was supposed to bring has begun at his first coming. And we know that it will be consummated at his second coming. At his second coming, there will literally be no more blind people. There will literally be no more Christians in prison. God will free them all. So when we look at the Old Testament, we must look at these verses as Jesus, as the fulfillment of these things. So as we go through the rest of Isaiah 42, we have to look at when he's talking about this servant, he's talking about Jesus. It is Jesus who fulfills all these things in the text, right? Was not Jesus considered meek and gentle when he came? Just as Isaiah in chapter 42 says, right? Again, this justice 
is dealing with the sin of mankind. God's going to exact justice on sin. And Jesus is going to execute this plan perfectly. And Jesus is the new covenant that God is talking about. When he says you're going to be a covenant to all people, that is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the new covenant. Remember, it was Jesus himself in Matthew 26 that said this. And we'll get there in a moment. I, I don't, I'm skipping ahead of myself. So it wasn't Isaiah. It wasn't just Isaiah who talked about this new covenant. There are two other prophets that I want to show you, major prophets that talked about this new covenant that was to come. So go back to the Old Testament and turn one book over to the prophet Jeremiah. And look at Jeremiah chapter 31, looking at verses 31 through 34. So sticking along this, uh, sticking with this theme of this new covenant, this new thing that the Lord is bringing about to the nation of Israel, Jeremiah continues this same topic and says, Behold, in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. So into the future, from the time that he wrote this, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For they shall, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will be remembered no more. That's what the new covenant did. Uh, turn over one more book to Ezekiel, or the next prophet, I should say. Ezekiel, look at verse 16. Or excuse me, chapter 16. Look at verse 60. Ezekiel 16, verse 60. Look at what he says here about this covenant. He says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord." in order that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your humiliation, when I have forgiven you for all that you have done, the Lord God declares. Again, this is talking about salvation, the new covenant of salvation that the, Jesus implemented. A matter of fact, the writer in Hebrews chapter 9 tells us about these prophecies, about this new covenant, and he tells you who is the one that implemented this covenant in Isaiah chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Look at this. This is speaking of Jesus. And he said, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since the death has, since a death has taken place, the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of this eternal inheritance. It is this new covenant that makes 
anyone who believes, even the house of Israel, inherit, have this eternal inheritance. It is Jesus who is the new covenant that Isaiah is talking about. And as I mentioned earlier that I, I stopped short of mentioning this verse, in Matthew 26, when Jesus was implementing um, communion, he said in verse 27, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the mission of this servant is to come and implement this new covenant. The other prophets attest to that. The writers of the New Testament say, this is who it is. This is what Isaiah was talking about. Jesus himself says it. And so going back to our text now, God promises to bring about a servant, to bring about a new covenant, to save his people, to bring about this new thing. Verse 9 says, right? Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. These are the new things that he's declaring. And so he expects a certain response from his people. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 42. Because this mission that the Lord is bringing, he says this, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and those who dwell in them, let the wilderness and the cities lift up their voices. The settlements were keter inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. He's saying because of this coming covenant, this new covenant that he's implementing, he's saying everybody praise the Lord for it. From the mountains to the, to the sea, everybody praise God, give glory to God. That's exactly what we do when we worship. We're praising God for his salvation that he has offered to us, that he's given to us, that he's promised is to come in total consummation to us. And so Isaiah is doing the exact same thing, saying here, because of what God has done, let's praise him. Everybody praise God. Everybody sing because of God's coming salvation. And he goes on to describe this salvation in warlike terms in verses 13 through 17. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war, and he will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. When God comes against his enemies, he comes at them like a warrior. When he calls people to himself, he is gentle and meek. You see the contrast there. As he attacks the enemies of God, he goes out full bore with a war cry, and he's going to prevail against them. And he continues on to describe this. He says, I, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and wither all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into coastlands and I will dry up the ponds. Again, this is a, a picture of God coming against his enemies. When God's wrath is poured out on his enemies, this is what it looks like. And he says, hey, I've been silent for a while. I've, reserved, I've kept quiet. I've reserved myself, but now I'm coming at you. You know, he's coming at the enemies 
and he goes on. So, when God defeats his enemies, he comes out with a battle, with a war cry. In verse 16 now, he talks about leading his people out of that. So as he mentioned, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to lead the captives or those in prison out of it. Look at what he says. This is how he does it. And I will lead the blind by the way they do not know. In paths they do not know. I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. So the servant's mission is to conquer the enemies of his people, right? He describes that. But when he leads his people, he leads them out of darkness into the light. He opens their eyes. He makes the the rough paths smooth. And he promises that he will do this and he will not leave the plan unfinished in verse 16. Again, reminding Israel, this is my plan. Although you might not see it, trust me, I'm the Lord God. I made all things. I'm doing all things. And if I say something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Again, it's not like, well, I hope this happens. This is going to happen. So again, if you think about Jesus, think about how Jesus attacked sin and his enemies. He attacked them in warlike terms, just like it's described here. Turn with me to, or I'm just going to read this to you, actually, for the sake of time. But if you're fast, you can turn there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It says this, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. This is talking about the death of Jesus. But look at how it describes him defeating the enemy, which which was hostile towards us, speaking of the decrees. And he had taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So even in the defeat of sin, it's warlike. It's like he triumphed over them. He defeated them. He nailed them to the cross. Just like Isaiah is saying here about God coming out against his enemies. Right now, maybe, you know, we look at our world and there are enemies of the church. And we wonder, why hasn't God come out against them? Well, we have to remember that God has a plan. There's a time. Maybe he's going to call them to himself. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know this, that God will not allow it to continue, that there will be a day that God comes out like a lion towards the enemies of the church. And again, because he said this, we can count on it happening. So with all that said, and again, remember, this is a prophecy for Israel. Look at verse 17 now. This is kind of like, well, so this is what's going to happen. How are you going to respond, Israel? And look at verse 17. It says, They shall be turned back and be utterly put to shame, speaking of the enemies of God, and those who don't follow after God. He says this, Who trust in idols, who say to molten images, You are my gods. Remember in chapter 41, he was giving a contrast between himself and the idols that Israel was building up. And he's telling them here, You guys are going to trust, you're going to trust these idols, these molten images and tell them they're gods, even after I tell you all this is going to happen? Will you trust them, Israel? Is that who you're going to trust? And he goes on, verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? And when he says my servant here, he's talking about the nation Israel. He's not talking about Jesus. 
He says, who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I'm sent? Because remember, Israel was supposed to be a servant and a messenger and a light to all the nations, but they weren't. He goes on to say, who is so blind as that he is at peace with me, or so blind as a servant of the Lord? You see many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and despoiled. All of them are trapped in caves, are hidden away in prisoners, and they have become a prey with none to deliver them, and they spoil with none to say, give them back. He's describing his people when they don't trust him. They're hiding. They're in caves. They're in dungeons. They're being plundered because that's the future of their of Israel when they get held into captivity. And so he's saying, this is you guys. Why will you remain this way? Look at verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this? He's like, who's going to hear what I'm saying? Who will give heed and listen hereafter? Who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunder? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? And in whose way they are not willing to walk? And in whose law... They did not obey. So here Isaiah is speaking now, saying all these things have happened to our people because we didn't follow after the Lord. We didn't keep covenant. Won't you hear what the Lord is saying? Won't you open your ears and listen to what God is telling us? Right? We are in trouble because we brought it upon ourselves, is what Isaiah is telling them. We're going to be taken to captivity because we've broken covenant. And so he says at the end of verse 25, So he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle, and it it set him aflame all around. Yet he did not recognize it, and it burned him, but he paid no attention. This is speaking of somebody so spiritually blind, meaning the nation of Israel at the time, that they don't even see what is going on around them, that God's judgment has come upon them, and they ignore it. And they refuse to turn to God. They're spiritually deaf, they're spiritually blind, and they don't see what's happening in the world around them. And so this is the plan for the nation of Israel, according to Isaiah in chapter 42, that they're going to go into captivity. But you know what? Hold on, because God is going to bring salvation. God eventually brings them out of captivity, as you know the story. And then eventually he brings Jesus Christ into the world to offer true salvation. And that is where we find ourselves today. That is the world we live in today. That salvation has begun to be offered to all people. And so again, this same question that is laid to the nation of Israel is laid to each and every one of us this morning. And every person who has ever lived, if this is God's plan for the world, what will we do? What will you do? I hope you see the uh, comparison in God's plan for the nation of Israel to the plan for your life. If you don't, let me lay it out for you. What is God's plan for our lives that is happening today? Number one, he's going to send a Savior, and he's already done that. He sent a Savior. This plan that he gave to the nation of Israel was a plan that is true for you and me. God's plan, for not only for our lives, but everyone's life, the history of the world, is that he's going to send a Savior. And the problem becomes is when people don't see that they need that Savior. 
You may be sitting there this morning going, I don't need a Savior. I don't need to be saved from anything. And I would say that's because you are spiritually blind and don't see it. But this is the plan for everyone's life, that God's going to send a Savior. And when that Savior comes, and He's already came, He will establish divine justice. Divine justice has already been established. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus has already taken upon the sin of the world upon himself. Remember, the justice that he's going to establish is divine justice, the justice of God, mankind being right with God. That is what is just. So Jesus took it upon himself. He took that sin upon himself. He took your penalty, my penalty upon himself. He allowed God's justice to be carried about about on his own body. That's the justice he's talking about. So divine justice already exists. He made God, he brought man and God together. That's justice. Justice was served, and the same question that was laid out for the nation of Israel is laid out for us. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with that news? Are you going to ignore it and continue to do what you want to do? Well, divine justice will fall upon you one day as well if you do that. So what's God's plan for our life? That he's going to send a Savior. He's done that. He's going to establish divine justice. He's done that. Now he's going to lead you and give you salvation if you hear. He came to open your eyes and take you out of the spiritual prison that you are in, you and me. God promises to show us this truth. And nobody can stand before God and say, I never heard that, I don't know that. We're told in Scripture that there is nobody who could say that. Everybody will be held accountable for that news. And so the proclamation of the gospel will go out and continue to go out until Christ returns. And the question for everybody, and maybe you've already answered, given your reply to that question, is will you believe? Do you believe it? The same question he told Israel Are you going to believe it? Are you going to trust in your idols, your foreign gods, or are you going to trust in me, the one who devised all this and planned all this? That's the question that each and every person has to answer. Will you believe that God did these things? So what do you do once you believe all those things? You're like, okay, I get it. I believe it. Now what? What's God's plan for my life? You've been telling me that you that you know God's plan for my life. Well, it's really simple. Your, God's plan for our life is that we glorify Him with every aspect of our life. Now, I know that encompasses a lot, but real simply, that's what your goal is in life, to glorify God. Well, what about all the decisions that you have to make in life? What about, you know, for you young people, Who do I marry? Does God tell you, give you the name of the person you're supposed to marry? Like if you search the scriptures far enough and long enough, does it say, you know what? Like when I was younger, Robert, you're going to marry Mindy. God didn't tell me that. That would have been a lot easier in life, right, if God would have told me who to marry. But does God give us, doesn't God lay down principles in scripture on who to marry? He does. For those of you that aren't married, so here's a a premarital counseling 101. For those of you that are believers, and the parents will be happier, you are to marry a believer. A believer. You're not to be unequally yoked. That's what God's will for you is for you in your life. To marry a believer, somebody else that loves the Lord. 
So when I came and I met my wife, that was check mark number one. She loves the Lord, right? So that was great. And she was blonde, so that was number two. <laughs> I think that was in Scripture. No, that wasn't in Scripture. That was my checklist. <laughs> but she loved the Lord. That was number one. And, and the scripture, and the same holds for true to you, all you young people today. Find somebody that loves the Lord and marry them, right? Don't wait for, is it, you know, is it, the, you know, is it the right person? Like, meaning, you know, God has to tell me exactly that, you know, if I turn to, to a book, he's going to say, yes, marry that person. No, he doesn't do that. He says, find somebody that loves the Lord. You have stuff in common, marry them. It's real simple. And we make decisions so hard in our life. God gives us, he might not tell us what to do in every situation, but he gives us principles to guide us in every situation. He gives us principles how to be a good employee, a good boss, a good husband, a good wife, a good child, a good neighbor. He gives us all those principles. Just follow those principles. Love God, glorify God, and follow those principles. That's what our life is all about. That's how I know what God's plan is for your life. Glorify God and do what you want. It's once been said that uh, St. Augustine said that. He didn't really say it that way. It's kind of a misinterpretation, but it's really simple. Love the Lord your God and do what you want. So should I do this? Well, love God. If you love God, you'll do the right thing for the most part, right? I love the Lord, so I'm going to marry somebody that loves the Lord. The problem comes is when we get that out of whack and, well, think, you know, you do something out of God's will and then you get yourself in trouble and you're wondering how you got yourself there. Glorify God with your entire life once you believe. Every aspect of your life, right? How do you know what God wants you to do in your life? Well, it's real simple. It's, it's right here in his word. So if you're not reading God's word and you don't, follow the Lord, then you're not going to understand what he wants for you, and you're going to be lost, and you're going to be, you know, making, you know, bad decisions your entire life and getting yourself in a bunch of trouble. Now, again, I want to reiterate, just because you're in trouble, or you do, something bad's happening in your life doesn't mean that it didn't come from God. But in the midst of those struggles and trials, God's with us. God will help us get through it. So what's God's plan for the, our lives, for the entire world? He's going to send a Savior. He's going to establish divine justice. He's going to lead and guide us to salvation. And we need to glorify Him with all of our life. And again, the question that, I posed, that was posed to the nation of Israel is posed to each and every one of us. Will you follow that plan for your life? That's only something that you can answer. Only something that I can answer. I want to close with one, uh, one verse in the book of Revelation. Uh, turn to Revelation chapter 7. Because this gives you a glimpse into the future of all those who said, you know what, I'm going to follow God's plan for my life. This is our future. Revelation 7 verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, those who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they came? So there's this picture in heaven of people dressed in white robes. And so this elder is asking, who is it? Who are all these people here? Verse 14, and I said to him, this is John writing, my Lord, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation 
and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So those who have come out of this world and trusted God, that's who these people are. For this reason, right, because they've trusted God, right, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the final consummation. This is the total victory for each and every person in this room and throughout world history who trust the Lord. And obviously the opposite is true for those who don't, tr- don't trust the Lord. They will not be tabernacling with God. They will be uh, in the lake of fire that's described at the end of Revelation, separated from God for all eternity. And so again, the question for each and every one of us this morning is, will you follow the plan of God for your life? It's, it's simple. God's offered salvation. We receive it and just glorify him with your life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Even in something as sometimes as hard as Isaiah, where it's hard to decipher, you give us insight into your word and tell us your plan for our life. And I pray that each and every person this morning would truly understand that your plan for their life is to come to know you as their Lord and Savior and to glorify you with their entire life in anything that they do and everything that they do. I pray that you would give each and every one each and every one of us insight in how to do that. Whether it's from choosing the right spouse or to doing what's right in the workplace or loving our neighbors, loving our husbands or wives, help us, Lord God, to glorify you in that. And when we fail, that we would quickly repent and turn back to you. And so I pray this in your name and ask for your help for each and every one of us. Amen.